Welcome to From Embers to Excellence, a podcast that explores the many facets of leadership from the perspectives of some amazing people. We discuss the triumphs and failures that have shaped our lives and our leadership philosophies. It isn't whether we fail that defines us, but when we do fail, how do we respond? Leaders dust off the ashes and use their failures as fuel to work harder and as lessons to come back wiser and stronger, more resilient, more determined, and more committed to excellence. And now, here is your host, Dave Hollenbach. Today's guest is Chief Otto Drozd III. He currently serves as the Fire Chief for Seminole County Fire Rescue in Central Florida. He began his career in the fire service with the Hialeah Fire Department in 1986. He worked his way up the ranks, eventually becoming the fire chief of Hialeah in 2001. He served as the fire chief for El Paso Fire Department and Orange County Fire Rescue before taking his current position with Seminole County. He has a master's degree in public management, executive fire officer designation from the National Fire Academy in Emmitsburg, Maryland, and was awarded a fire service fellowship to attend Harvard University's senior executives in state and local government program. Additionally, he holds the designation as a chief fire officer through the Center for Public Safety Excellence. He has served in leadership positions in the International Association of Fire Chiefs, the Metro Chiefs Association as president, the Florida Fire Chiefs Association as president, and on numerous committees and task forces. He is one of the best leaders that I have ever known. He has been a mentor to me, a coach, and a friend. Can we talk a little bit about your background? What led you to your career in the fire service? Yeah, so as far as my background, I, I really didn't have any basis, you know, uh, familiar, you know, family ties or anything like that that really led me to a, a career in the fire service. I, I, I take myself, you know, kind of like most people that were, you know, in high school at a certain point, you're you know, you go through your life and that's all you have is your school, your friends, your sports, that kind of thing. Uh, and then I was getting close to the end. And, you know, of course, everybody gets pushed into college, uh, which, you know, I believe in, in some cases, some are ready, some aren't. And there's all variations in between. I wasn't ready for it at that point, although I went just like everybody else, but I was always looking for something else. Me and a friend of mine, we uh, started scoping out the different career paths and, you know, the, the fire service seemed something that was a good fit for us because, you know, we had always been on teams and certainly the fire service is a team sport uh, from that perspective. Uh, we always wore uniforms. Uh, the fire service has uniforms. We used to go to practice almost every day. We call that training in the fire service and game time is comes a lot more often when that alarm rings so that was kind of something that you know when i got into it not knowing all those things uh when i did get in uh, it seemed like a great fit for me you grew up in south florida correct i did uh in fact i, I grew up in the city of hialeah although i was born in jersey uh, and moved there when i was two from the time that i started applying for a job in the fire service it took me five years and I was fortunate to land with my hometown department. But, you know, at the time there wasn't any, uh, there wasn't any internet. So me and 
that friend of mine that became a firefighter also, we went to the library, grabbed all the phone books, uh, wrote down every city and county across the state, and uh, we started, you know, kind of touring the entire state, applying and testing for jobs. And it, it just so happens that I got picked up with my hometown department. What sports did you play in high school? Well, I ran track, uh, played soccer, and those were kind of like sidelines to football. Uh, so, so I played football every year. Uh, and uh, the track and the soccer, uh, we had a coach at one point that uh, if you didn't play another sport, then they would put you kind of back in general population, not in varsity sports. Almost every one of us uh, took on another sport. It's interesting that a lot of the, uh, the people that I've been interviewing that I believe are viewed by everyone they work with as, as good, solid leaders, they all have a background in some team sport, which I think the correlation is just really learning to, to work with others well and learning your, your place, I guess, developing that personal identity of where you fit on the team. And some people learn how to lead others early on and some people it takes a little longer, but I, I find it interesting that a lot of the really strong leaders that I've been interviewing have that background in sports. Yeah, I think that's part of it. You know, certainly, uh, you know, you, you learn uh, how to be a leader as you mature within a team, uh, right? And, and you take, you, you naturally progress. But, but I also think, you know, in a lot of people that are in leadership positions, uh, they get there through some type of adversity, right? And uh, having to, to struggle uh, together with the team, uh, having to work hard and, and overcome uh, certain barriers, whether that be uh, an opponent or whether it be a warfighter, you know, and, and I'm not comparing the two, but, but there are certain analogies uh, that adversity uh, builds character. Absolutely. Speaking of that, uh, throughout your career in the fire service, do you have any incidences of uh, adversity that helped you develop? Yeah, I, I think, you know, you know, when, when you, you have adversity through, throughout your career, you know, I, I think, you know, coming into the fire service without really knowing uh, what was happening. In fact, uh, I got hired two weeks after my recruit class. Uh, so that was uh, the first challenge uh, that was put before me. You know, the fire chief called me and he said, you know, we had somebody that washed out of the academy, but you'd have to make up two weeks and you'll have to work late, work nights, work weekends to make up the time. And I was more than willing to do that. And every step along the way, uh, there are certain rites of passage, whether it be your nine-month probationary period, whether it be a, uh, a salty a senior firefighter that you have to, you know, win respect from because, uh, and when I say win, it, it's more of earn respect from. You know, I remember junctures all along the way from being a firefighter to being a young officer and certainly a very young chief officer and fire chief uh, that you get challenged uh, all along the way and you make mistakes no doubt along the way but you learn from from each of those and I think you become stronger as a result. Right now you're you're the chief of Seminole County Fire Department, metro-sized fire department. 
You've been the fire chief. This is your fourth fire chief position, correct? I mean, the experiences you must have had moving through these different agencies has got to be immense, but how do you continue to learn in order to stay you know, stay ahead of the curve within your role as a, as a fire chief? Transitioning from one department uh, to the other, you know, uh, of course, you, you, you come in with certain uh, preconceived notions, right, of what another organization will be like. But in, in speaking to fire chiefs that are making transitions from their home departments to others, uh, what I tell them is that uh, no two departments are the same, although uh, they will be in large measure do many of the same things and, and have many of many familiar characters within each of them, but you can't take and put a template from one department onto the other. And then the challenge uh, that, that I see it as fire chief is not in learning all the standard operating procedures, SOGs, or, or even the people. It's how do you have the people put trust in you uh, by the things that, that you do and motivate them uh, to, to make the changes within the department uh, that are going to drive them forward and enhance their, their place in the community and with their elected officials because that is really the key to being successful. You can be the best fire chief in the world, but if you can't get the people to follow you and buy into to the programs uh, that you're trying to put into place and you can't get the elected officials or the community, then uh, really uh, you're really spinning your wheels in many cases. In your position as the fire chief, when you, when you go into a new department, what is your priority? your main priority when it comes to getting all of those factors aligned? Because obviously you answer to the elected officials first. They're the ones that hire you. They're the ones that you work for. I mean, you work for the, the community and you essentially work for the firefighters, but how do you how do you balance that? And what what's the most bang for your buck? Where do you get the most return? Uh, we had this, you and I had this conversation I think a, a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, where we were talking about my experience with you and then how you've been demonstrating your commitment to, to the new department by going around and, and talking with the crews. I'm just wondering how, is there- So I think what you're, what you're getting at is credibility, right? So how do, you, how do you have credibility with elected officials, with the community and with the firefighters? Uh, and, and that's something that in large measure is earned by the things that you do. Uh, but you, you always get a certain amount of, of credibility or, or you get some equity uh, that just comes with the job, right? Uh, and, and I think we, we spoke about this, that you know, a lot of times in, in these positions, equity is like a bank account, right? Uh, and you get a, a certain amount of it. And as you go through, uh, with the elected officials uh, and with the administrative officials, uh, the things that you do, the programs that, that you push forward, uh, how you, you handle uh, critical issues, how you handle budgets, how you handle all those administrative tasks uh, either adds to uh, your bank account, so to speak, or takes away from it. And it's the same thing uh, with the firefighters out there. Uh, they'll give you a chance now 
what you do with it is really up to you. And one of the things that I like to do is really go out in the initial stages and listen. Uh, I think you, you have a whole lot more or you get a whole lot more from listening uh, to the firefighters and sitting down with them. And once you can uh, break the barrier of, of, of sometimes that, that chain of command and go down and sit with them directly, uh, they'll, they'll get to the, the things that, that are really critical within the organization. And for each organization, it, it's going to be a little bit different. You know, some organizations are going to be starved for leadership. Some are going to be starved for training or equipment uh, or s safety and wellness. But those, those are all things that are common amongst all of them uh, that, that we need to, to look at. So the question that I was trying to ask was, how do you balance your role of fire chief between serving the crews and operations and the officials you work closely with managing the larger issues, whether they're political or organizational? You know, that, that's a good question. And, you know, I don't, I don't see them as uh, those two roles as mutually exclusive. I think they're, they're pretty much one and the same. And the key is bringing those two groups together because that, that's where you're really going to, to get some synergies. Uh, when you can align what the direction of the elected officials and the administrative leadership of an organization uh, with the wants and needs of the firefighters in the field. And, and that's something that uh, I've been able to do over my career through listening uh, to people and, and finding uh, those, those areas uh, where both those wants and needs intersect and then that's the area that you operate in. Those are the areas where you can get the quick wins uh, because if you're on the fringe of any issue, uh, whether the, the fringe of the elected or the administrative side versus you know labor and firefighters, there's going to be some extremes, but there's always going to be some intersections there uh, where you can, you can make some gains uh, there. And that could be in the form of, okay, Firefighters always uh, identify gaps in service, right? Uh, and I'll give you an example uh, recently. We have an area where there's a station that's going to be built, but certainly from the time that you decide to build a station to the time that you get it, it could be a couple of years, several years uh, when you align everything, but that's a gap in service. Now, uh, something that came up was, okay, there's on um, the, uh, administrative and political side of, of the, the street, uh, there's a lot of development happening in that part of town. So now you have, we've identified an area where a station is going to go, which the firefighters want. Uh, there's the development that's happening there where now you're pitting developers against uh, consumers in the area or citizens within the area because there's not the level of service there to support it currently. So, so how do you make those work to your advantage? So what we were able to do, and the reason that uh, we were able to do it is because we identified that, okay, these were going to be mid to high rises, right? And the new station is going to have an aerial apparatus, but we don't currently have aerial coverage in the area. So what we were able to do is take one of our stations uh, that are in close proximity that don't have aerial coverage right now, and convert one of the one of the engines to a quint for a small upcharge on a planned replacement. And now 
you have more training, more uh, more equipment and resources for the firefighters in the field, and you've addressed not only the citizens' needs for coverage within the area, but you've provided some shelter to the administrative and elected uh, officials within the organization. In my time working for you, it was interesting really seeing how you, I call it a balancing act, but really what, what you did was you found those intersections. And I, I always thought it was really remarkable how you were able to, to talk with the crews, meet their needs to a certain degree. I mean, you can't always give everybody what they want, but when you're capable of doing so, you were always very quick to, to make changes to, to improve services. And, and really, when I, when I saw how you were received and, and through our conversation a couple of weeks ago, listening to you talk about showing the, the crews that you care, and you do that by listening and actually taking action. Where along the lines did you figure that out, or did you always kind of have an idea of that's what how how you needed to be as a fire chief? Well, so so that's a, a, an interesting one as well because you know when when any of us think back on chief officers that that we admired, you know we're leaving the service, uh, we think okay, you know that that was a great that was a great guy, right? And we're losing a lot in, in that person going out of the service. But everybody comes from somewhere uh, and everybody develops over time. You know, to me in the fire service, it's constant development and reinvention of oneself. I always had the mindset of change. I didn't always manage it well. In my first stint as fire chief, I would make change, but it was more like ripping off a Band-Aid almost every time. Uh, and that doesn't always go over well. You, you, you really learn over time on, you know, when rapid change is called for uh, and, and when a more measured approach is the order of the day. But it really goes to the, the larger strategy for the organization. Where do you want the organization to be? Because as firefighters, we're trained. When the alarm rings, we take action and we take action now, and then we reset. As you're moving through the ranks, your field of vision has to widen and your perspective uh, isn't necessarily for the time that it takes to resolve an incident, but it may be weeks months or years that you have to see and plan appropriately for those. So, so to me, when, when people ask me about that, I always, uh, I always go back to, you know, growing up watching my, my father play competitive chess with, you know, the clock that sets the time or starts the time for your opponent and developing two, three, five, six or seven moves down the line. Uh, in order to achieve what you're actually after. And that brings us to a part of the conversation I wanted to have with you is this idea of applying strategy to to your career. I know that when when I came on, I was very short-sighted. I just really wanted to be the best firefighter I could be. And, and I know that at that time, my thoughts were I'm going to be you know, smoke eating firefighter for my entire career. And I was going to retire with some big burly mustache and uh, 
soot in my nostrils, you know, and, uh, and then as time went on, I started realizing that there are so many different components to the fire service and things that I wanted to be involved in. And if you want to, to make changes within the service or within your organization and have influence, you definitely need to move up. Uh, in order to have the ability to influence a, a broader range of, of people and situations. So I started, and this is just a recent thing where I started really studying strategy and looking at how it applies to the fire service and how it applies to just career development. I, I'm wondering, well, since you have such, uh, you know, you were exposed to this strategic thought early on in life, I would imagine that you approach things a little differently and and you've developed these these ways of thinking over time to where now you you're able to see a lot further down the road than you were when you first started off in the fire service but if you had known then what you know now what are some strategies that you may have taken to improve the path of your career gosh you know that that's i i really you know feel like I, i've been blessed throughout my career and, uh, you know, to serve on as fire chief of four different organizations. I don't know that there's much uh, that, that I would have changed uh, other than, you know, maybe taking a little bit more time along the way uh, to mature within some of the positions. Uh, because that, here, here's maybe the downfall of the strategic mindset, right? So when, when I became a firefighter, I was always looking at, okay, what's the next step? And then the step after that and the step after that. And, and it's pretty easy to, to look at what is the formal rank structure within an organization and then see the people that are within those uh, rank structures and then kind of you know, say either you wanna be at whatever different level. But my mindset was to not restrict myself from any level within the organization. So as a firefighter, I looked at, I looked at every position, including the fire chief. And, and I said, I want to have the opportunity to do that job someday. And I wasn't sure that I wanted to. Uh, these were the steps that, that I had to take because I saw many fire chiefs over the years that were either strong operationally and really weren't as successful in pushing the agenda of the fire department forward uh, because they didn't have that administrative acumen. Uh, and then I saw some uh, that were officers that, that got promoted into administrative positions and stayed there for almost the entirety of their careers until they became chief officers and they didn't hold the credibility in, or in the field uh, that is necessary uh, to motivate people to new heights. And so really, uh, along the way, what I wanted to do was build my operational capacity. So, so that's why, you know, I volunteered for everything that, that was available, whether it be special ops, hazmat dive, airborne rescue, honor guard, all those things uh, that the department could offer. And different departments have a wide array of things that people can do, but wanted to do all of them to, to build my operational credibility and capacity. And then I uh, started adding in all the formal education that was going to give me the ability uh, in future years to compete 
for the, the highest level positions uh, within the organization without knowing that I really wanted to do it at that point, but setting myself up to take advantage of all those opportunities. Because if you're actually going to, to make effective change, then you have to be in the position that's going to give you the ability. And that's what I, that I, that I saw promotions as the ability to, to affect you. So that brings me to one question, then we'll double back to, to some other questions, but that's a good segue into if money were no object and you were in the appropriate position to improve the fire service in America or North America, if you could do anything that could improve the fire service as a whole, what, what would you do? What do you see as the biggest, the biggest issue within the fire service today that, that really, you know, maybe it's something that can change rapidly, but maybe it's something that's going to take years. I, I, I don't know. I, I'd like to hear it from your perspective. I, I don't know, but are, are you still involved with the Metro Chiefs Association? I still am involved as you know, a, a former president, I'm involved in, in different capacities, but I'm not in the leadership of that organization because they have their board and their, their current president, uh, but, but still do work for them and still in, in tune with uh, a lot of the issues of the national level. So I, I think you've got a pretty good perspective and a, and a firm grasp on, on what's being looked at as some, some global issues in the fire service. But from your perspective, what do you think the the biggest thing, if if you were in a position to change anything, what what do you think it would be? So you're right. There, there's a lot of issues um, within the fire service, and, and there always will be. And, and what I tell people about issues, as soon as we take care of the top one, uh, the next one's peeking its head around the corner to take its place. Uh, so it's not really that we have issues within the service. It's how we deal with them and move on to the next one. Uh, so, you know, we've been really focusing on safety, health, and wellness. And that's certainly uh, important because we lose far too many firefighters. You know, certainly technology within the, the fire service and, and how that's accelerating and how we can take advantage of it and better position ourselves to be successful as a result of having hard data to make decisions on uh, is also critical. But I'm going to take it in a, in a direction that, that may be a little bit different. So if you look at the, the structure of the fire service, I would say that one of the things that has held the fire service back is fragmentation. And, and what I mean by fragmentation is uh, a lot of times we always look at our law enforcement counterparts, right? And historically, uh, they've gotten more recognition, higher budgets. So the current state is a little bit different with the current state of the world and, and some of the things uh, that are impacting them. But in the fire service, we haven't been as successful because I believe we are more of a fragmented organization. There's nothing that really ties us uh, together at a national level uh, like, the, like the police services. In most states, like in Florida, you have a law enforcement agency at the state level uh, that really uh, binds all the organizations, all law enforcement within the state. At the federal level, you have several of them, whether it be uh, the FBI, uh, DHS to a certain extent, some, some of those uh, things that are federal law enforcement agents. In the fire service, 
we don't really have that. Uh, so it, it's really left to the local and the state level uh, to decide. And we're all a little bit fragmented in the way that we do that from volunteer organizations to combination to, to paid departments. So it, it's a little bit different. So if I were to take one thing and say, because I love our service, and I, I don't believe we take second seat to anybody, and certainly uh, we shouldn't in this case. So if I were to say something, it would be to establish a national uh, organization or some type of agency that, that would really take away some of the fragmentation that we see uh, across uh, the United States when, when it comes to the fire service. Do you think that the, the National Fire Administration could play a role in that? I mean, I, I don't really know enough about the NFA to speak intelligently on it. I, I know that they, they're involved in a lot of training, but it's not necessarily along the same lines as like the FBI or federal law enforcement agency in terms of its correlation between the fire department. And, and certainly, you know, when, when we think of the U.S. Fire Administration, we think that they would play a, a more significant role than, than they do. Um, but really, uh, I think uh, either through enacting legislation uh, or through practice, uh, they fall under FEMA, it falls under DHS, and so they don't have a cabinet level position uh, like an FBI director would have, like a DHS director. And in fact, uh, several years ago, uh, they don't even have to go. The, the U.S. Fire Administrator is in a appointed position now uh, where it used to be a Senate confirmed position, I believe. Uh, so even that has maybe diminished a little bit from the standing of, of that position. Uh, when it's buried three or four levels deep uh, within another organization. So while, while I think it has the potential to expand and, and be that that central uh, clearinghouse for the fire service, I don't think we're there yet. What do you think it would take for, for that to happen? Just, I guess, lobbying, probably. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not really sure what, what it would take because, you know, when we look at it, when you look at FEMA, right, we have had one fire chief uh, that has been in charge of FEMA. That was Dave Paulison, who uh, uh, made the jump uh, all the way uh, to FEMA. Uh, but if you look at a lot of the other organizations that's in the DHS, they're all law enforcement central. Uh, and, and that's really uh, because of years and years of, of, of really looking at public safety from the law enforcement perspective. Um, which isn't all bad, um, but but certainly we have a role. Uh, and in many cases, you know, when, when you look at disaster response, certainly, you know, while everybody has a role to play, uh, I believe our role is critical. And uh, when you look across communities uh, within the United States, uh, disaster strikes certainly were on the front lines. And should you to roll it back a little bit, we were talking about um, how you would improve 
the fire service in America. How about, how about, um, in your opinion, what's been the biggest failure within the fire service? It, it could be anything from, uh, well, I mean, the, the fragmentation is one, but it could also be something along the lines of, uh, of a disaster or I don't know. I don't, I, when I, when I wrote the question, I, I intended it to be broad, broad enough for, uh, I, I guess, just to get your perspective on it, what maybe led to that failure. And one thing that we're great at in the fire service is when there is a catastrophe or something like that, when when lives are lost, we're very quick to respond and, and fix the issue. When putting it in the context of strategic thinking, if we learn from past mistakes and maybe apply those lessons to, okay, why did that happen? What is the next Thing that could happen down the road and how could we avoid that by taking lessons from this so in in your so, so what, what what i think is certainly over the years we've had the opportunity to position ourselves in many different areas uh, I'll, I'll give you one example right so uh, in the early 70s now that's when ems uh, came on the forefront right uh, and in many cases uh, instead of embracing ems as something that would push the fire service into new heights, uh, we rejected it in many ways. And even today, uh, we reject it in many ways on a daily basis uh, because it's it's it doesn't have that traditional uh, mindset uh, of the fire service. But uh, I think we do, you know, not as good a job as we could do and really highlighting that we are truly an all hazards response agent. Um, while fire is in our name, we do a lot more uh, than that. And, you know, I, I don't subscribe to, to some of the, of the thoughts that we should abandon uh, the name that, that we've held for many years, uh, but, but I do believe uh, that we should certainly highlight and embrace some of the new missions uh, that, that are thrown upon us. Uh, because we do have, you know, a distributed workforce that's very talented and very motivated to take care of their communities. Uh, and I see that each and every day uh, in the firefighters that are there and the new firefighters uh, that we're hiring, you know, they're as motivated and, and, and as wanting to do good within their communities as any, any generation that came before them. Now, how do we tap into that and really highlight that we are that all hazards uh, agency that takes care of you know, our citizens, no matter what the, the uh, incident, um, we're learning new things all the time. Uh, whether it comes to electric vehicle response, uh, that is going to be a tight look at uh, the new technologies, whether it be drone technologies or the use of data. Uh, we have the capacity, I believe, uh, within the fire service uh, to really highlight uh, the scope of services that we provide and really highlight how critical uh, each one of our fire service organizations is uh, within their individual community. So just to rephrase that or, or clarify, in, in your opinion, the biggest failure is not really establishing the the knowledge within the communities of everything that we do. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that, that, that I like to do is I like to promote our service. You know, I like to market uh, the fire service and, and give people an understanding of who we are and what we actually do. So I, I think 
you know, without saying, you know, I don't know that failure would be the right word. I think that's one of the challenges uh, that we're faced with. How do we highlight all the good things that we do on a daily basis uh, to, to really support our community? And uh, a lot of people within the fire service, well, that's just part of the job. And while that's true, if we're going to sustain who we are, well, really highlight how critical we are to the infrastructure of all the community. So that would be the area to where we can do a better job at really highlighting, you know, how valuable uh, the fire service and the people that work within it are to the everyday lives of the citizens that we serve. Can you give an example of where you've been able to to highlight some of the services that are that are lesser known within the community that the, the fire service handles? You know, a good example is, you know, when we look at the fire service from the perspective of marketing, you know, one of the things uh, that, that I've invested in is our public information. You know, how do we highlight uh, those daily things uh, that we do, uh, whether it be an EMS call, a special operations call, uh, in the Orlando area, we had a team that looked at all the uh, the attractions, uh, the high angle teams, and what we were doing is a really good job of highlighting those and getting those into the forefront of the media. Now, uh, there's always uh, issues with social media and things like that, and and they say within that world that it takes 15 stories to to uh, negate one bad news. So how do we highlight on a daily basis all the good things that are happening across the entire spectrum of the services uh, that we provide? And from a fire chief's perspective, you know, that is, you know, not only supporting and developing those programs, uh, but having a visible presence uh, within the department and within the community uh, to, to really highlight when those things come to bear. Uh, we had some critical incidents uh, lately and uh, one of the some of the feedback that, that I got from our firefighters was uh, we were glad that, that you went out. We were glad that you represented us uh, and spoke on the things that, that we were doing. Uh, and, and so now you're not only highlighting that to the community, but you're getting more buy-in uh, from the firefighters that are doing the work in the field. Uh, so those are, that, that's an example of how we can highlight every day the things that we're doing. But you have to have the mindset that uh, it's not just part of the job, it's something that we should be uh, out there uh, marketing on a daily basis if we're going to, to get the support at the board level, at the elected officials level, uh, to, to really highlight the things uh, that we do. Uh, because un unless uh, we, we get it out there in the general public, you know, you're going to get some of the, the same old questions. Well, fire department, we don't have that many fires over, you know, or, or things like that, which, you know, we also have to change the way that we look at fire response. Because right now, uh, across the nation, uh, if you look at law enforcement response versus fire response, uh, the numbers will be starkly different, right? And uh, I had, I, I was at a community meeting uh, where a law enforcement officer got, you know, I got up and said, well, 
We ran 130,000 polygraphs. The law enforcement official got up and said, well, we ran a million and a half polygraphs last year. They're not that much larger than us. Uh, so, you know, I really, you know, dug in a little bit and the way that we record our activity is selling us short in many cases. And, and a good example is a lot of people will say, well, EMS is 70% of what we do. Yes, it's 70% of what we do if you take it on an incident or incident basis. But what are the resources that we're sending to an EMS call versus a large-scale fire call, a trench rescue, a hazardous materials incident. Uh, there's many more unit counts. And on the police side, a lot of the times where they get to that million and a half number is because they count everything, whether they're doing a wellness check, uh, whether they're going to a lunch, whether they're doing a drive-by. And in many cases, they count every unit that's responding as a single incident. We do a lot of work that we're not accounting for uh, in the way that we uh, our activity. And, and I think that's selling ourselves short. It's interesting. One of the things that, that you did uh, within Orange County was you started counting a lot of those things that we had been doing for for years and just never even going on the radio and and advising that we were assisting somebody or I mean so many times I, I know we've gone to people's homes where they they stopped by the station and said you know we're having an issue with this in our house do you have somebody here that would be willing to take a look at it it's really awesome that in any firehouse there's always somebody in there that's a tradesman that is skilled in something and and it's not just the fires. It's not just the EMS calls. We do everything. And we only account for a small portion of, of what we actually do. And, and when we started counting a lot of those things that we do, it, it was initially, uh, I can tell you just from being there in the field and, and listening to people, like, it was always like, why in the world are we having to go on the radio for this? Now I got to do a report for this. And but looking at the bigger picture, you understand. And that was one of the great things about you was how you communicated and, and the, the leadership program that, that we implemented. The key point in the very first class and in every class, as you move through the, the levels of the training, everything points to communication as being the foundation of sound leadership. The idea of communicating with the community and letting them know everything that we're doing is just another form of, of leadership, just at a, a much higher level and really not allowing somebody else to define who we are, but defining ourselves for them. Right. And, and so what, recently, one, one of the greatest compliments, which, you know, at first I didn't think it was, right? But there was a decision that needed to be made uh, at, at a level higher than mine, right? Uh, but it had to do with, with fire department. And uh, they didn't uh, necessarily contact me uh, to, to ask about that issue. But, but here's the compliment, right? Uh, a couple months afterwards, I'm speaking to somebody about why they didn't contact us. And, and they go, well, they know that because of the data 
that you guys collect uh, and the way that you communicate the data, uh, if they would have contacted you, uh, they would have been convinced to do something that they may not necessarily wanted to do at that time. Ultimately, we got to where we needed to be, but where we need to be as a fire service is to be able to articulate and speak in a language uh, that isn't necessarily fire service centric, but uh, communicate uh, in the language of administration, of elected officials in a way uh, that we always are pushing the fire services cause forward. Uh, and, and I believe we can get there. Uh, we just have to uh, highlight the things that we do and have the data to support it. Uh, because the days of not having data to support a position uh, are long past us. And if we're going to be effective in the future, we have to put those, those things in place that are going to give us the ability going forward. The data, in my experience, I, and I, I think I'm accurate with this, but the accreditation process, I think, has played a large role in fire departments you know, in North America actually becoming data-driven and adjusting their services based on that data and, and best practices. I, I don't know enough about that process and the organization to know when that started or how it started, but maybe you do because you, you've been involved with it to a great extent. Sure. Uh, and, and so a fire service accreditation, while it does bring forth a lot of those things that, that you're talking about as far as uh, recording data, looking at what industry best practices. Uh, the, the question is how widespread is it uh, and has it really taken hold uh, within the fire service? And while we're always making gains, uh, if you look at the number of fire service agencies that are accredited, it's really a small number. Uh, I think less than 200, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it could be a little bit more, but, but certainly when you have an estimated 40 or 50,000 unique fire departments uh, within the nation, certainly a small fraction of where we need to be uh, as a fire service if we're actually going to be effective. Even when, when we look at NFPA standards, these are national consensus standards that when we go back to the fragmentation, there's not one organization that says you shall. The standards say you shall, but it's up to the states, the individual organizations uh, to, to really adopt or not adopt. And in some cases, they're adopting only a small fraction of the shall language within a lot of the standards uh, that through consensus is viewed as best practice. Uh, that's where we get back around to the fragmentation uh, across the service. Florida is different than Texas. Uh, Texas is different than California and a lot of things uh, that they uh, require of their fire service agencies. And that's where, you know, uh, if there's fragmentation, then there's room to drive a wedge between fire service organizations and the things that they need to be successful. What technology uh, related to your role as, as fire chief, are you researching the most right now? Well, what I like, what I'm looking at now is what is the next generation of predictive technology? And, it, and what I mean by that is uh, we take a backwards look a lot of times 
and we say based on historical call volume, um, these are the things that are impacting your service. So really what I'm looking at now is some of that predictive technology that gives us the ability uh, with some degree of accuracy uh, to predict the impacts of decisions that are made in the future or that will impact us in the future. A good example is a housing development, right? Uh, we know that in many communities, uh, especially in uh, land-rich communities, uh, builders are going to, to go and build in areas that, that are further away from uh, the, the built-up areas of a community, just because the land's cheaper. But now it causes us a problem because they're building further away from existing facilities, uh, further away from the infrastructure. And if you look at how old older communities were built, uh, they were built in concentric circles around the downtown core. Uh, and then you had the redundancy of service uh, that goes along with building a concentric circle around a downtown core. But now when you have what they call urban sprawl, it, it's spreading it out further. So now with this predictive technology, what is the impact of that housing development going to be based on of units, response times, all those things. There has been uh, some headway made in being able to predict the impact of, of these things, but it's still very difficult for fire chiefs to piece that, that kind of information together. Uh, so some of the technologies that are coming, uh, I believe within the next several years, we'll have the ability to look at those impacts on our phones. In fact, I was talking to a, a software developer on that very thing, because they have technology that can do some of this predictive analysis, but I have to wait sometimes five days, three days, two weeks in order to get the analysis back. I should be able to punch it into my phone while I'm sitting uh, within a boardroom and give the answer to the elected officials that are going to benefit first. Uh, and that's where I think a lot of this is going. What technology have you been using that really isn't widely used throughout the fire service, but should be? Yeah, I think one of the things uh, that we're using, uh, but not to as great of it, is some of the drone technology that's out there. Uh, I can tell you we've used it on fire scenes, on dive scenes, on many different types of incidents and the operational uh, advantages that, that you get uh, from that aerial view is well worth what, what is really a, a small expense uh, when, when you look at it. And this is how I, I, I talk to my people about it. You know, for the price of, of getting an additional light on a fire truck sometimes with, with uh, a teleboom, something where, where you have a light and a camera, we can buy a drone for $3,000. You know, we can put infrared on it. Uh, we can put thermal imaging on it. We can put um, gas monitors on these drones. And those are just the uses that we have today. I mean, they're being used on wildland uh, fires. Uh, you have fixed wings as well as the rotary wings. Uh, they're being used in, in some areas to de deliver AEDs. That hasn't taken hold of it within the United States, but there's companies that, that are approaching it already. But, uh, you know, and, and I've told people, I can see a day and there's already some manufacturers that offer them. 
uh, that every fire truck has a drone mounted on the roof. You know, when we're talking about doing our 360 uh, and doing that size up, what is the ability that that drone's going to give us? Uh, and then if we take it to the next step, and this is where I want to go with it, what is the feed? Where is the feed of that drone going? Is it going to our incident commander? Certainly it's going to our incident commander. But uh, a lot of departments have uh, these very large, expensive command posts, mobile command centers, right? And that's a problem with the upkeep of uh, the technology, uh, driving it to the scene, and then actually getting people to use it. I think the technology is already there. If I spend $750,000 to a million dollars on a vehicle, imagine if I took that million dollars and put it in a fixed room, but now I'm connected to the scene through drone technology and I can feed the incident commander, uh, the hydrant layers, uh, where his units are coming down the street, uh, who his first, second, and third do is going to be and, and where they're coming from, where the water supply is, I can produce the building schematics, uh, make those pre-incident plans actually very usable because now uh, we're evaluating it in a fixed environment where we have all this thing at our fingertips and we're able to transmit it uh, to support our incident commanders in the field rather than spending a million dollars. And if you think of any headquarters, uh, you have people running around headquarters that have years and years of operational experience. Uh, so imagine a, a call comes in and now we have a hot center that we just flip the lights on. Everybody goes into a certain position and we start feeding and receiving this information. How much more effective could we be? And that's where I see some of it going. And they already do it in the military. If you look, they, they can run uh, a special ops operation from half a world away. We should be able to do it a few blocks away. For young firefighters or aspiring firefighters or fire officers that are looking to promote and, and move up in the ranks, uh, possibly the fire chief, what advice would you give them? Well, the advice I would give them is prepare yourself for any one of those positions that you think even there's the slightest possibility that you may want to be eligible for in the future. Because a lot of times when, when we look at life at a fire station, uh, you get integrated into a crew that you love. Uh, before you know it, 10 or 15 years of your career has been spent. Very productive 10 or 15 years and, and you're having fun, but it may not position you in, in the place where you want to be to be able to take advantage of some of these opportunities that are out there. Not that there's anything wrong with staying at a station for 10 or 15 years and loving your crew. We need those people, but we also need to develop the future leaders of the fire service if we're going to be effective. And so it's positioning themselves, uh, not only through their technical uh, skills, but also their administrative acumen, and that's the education. Because if we're going to be su successful and earn the respect that we need at the local, state, and federal level, uh, the one thing that ties all professions together is that educational piece. And I'm not saying that it makes you any, any better uh, of a fire officer, but it does give you a ticket to the game. Throughout our conversation, 
there is this um, theme of, of uh, strategic thought. And I mean, for example, the idea of having predictive technology to make decisions based on where you want to be rather than responding to something that's occurred and playing catch up. So it, it's really applying the same logic to, to shaping your career, kind of looking at where you might want to be and kind of working your way back to where you are and maybe looking at all of the possible paths that will take you to where you want to end up. Absolutely. Um, it's not different than, you know, than, than in our lives, kind of like in the environment, right? You have to, you, know, you have to start saving and, and having, you know, some, some plan solidified uh, if you're going to be able to enjoy your retirement. Same thing career-wise. You have to start putting those things in place today that, that are going to make you successful in those things that you want to achieve in the future. Uh, and that is all about strategy. Uh, what are those things that, that you're going to do today that may not necessarily benefit you today, but are going to have long-range implications for your success in the future? How do you measure success personally and success for the organization? And maybe when you're evaluating somebody on your team, how do you, how do you measure success in those areas? So, so that's that, that's a great question because you know, and, and I've been asked that question in, in many different forms, you know. And through the course of our careers, we'll have some wins and we'll have some losses. But the way that I truly measure success uh, is in the people that I work with. How successful, you know, when when I leave, how successful are those those leaders uh, that that are assuming those roles, more responsible roles um, within an organization. I've been very fortunate to work with a, a lot of good people that have gone on to great success. Uh, in fact, I, I like to tell the story of one of the best times within my career was uh, I was a battalion chief and all of the stations under my command, uh, the officers at those stations worked on my trucks. Uh, so, you know, it, it was you know, a fire scene. It, there was very little communication that, that was needed. Uh, it was more of they, they un we understood each other, uh, we, we understood the expectation, and we only had to communicate by exception uh, because everybody was doing what they were supposed to do. So, and many of those officers went on to, to be you know, obtain higher ranks. And, and when I left uh, my original organization, then the next two people uh, that became fire chief had served on my staff for, for many years. Uh, so, so really, you know, the way that I measure success is in the people uh, that grow within the organization. And, you know, I, I tell people all the time, one of the, one of the parts of my career that I don't talk about very much uh, because it was something that I did off duty was being a fire service instructor. Uh, and I taught a lot of minimum standards classes. And one of the things that, that I, I loved about doing that is you take somebody uh, in that has almost no concept of the fire service. Uh, and uh, over, over that training time, 
Uh, you see them develop and be able to stand on their own two feet and become successful as a firefighter and beyond. So really, uh, what, what I count as success is in the people uh, that I work with being successful. What has inspired you most as a fire chief? What has inspired me most as a fire chief? The word no. What's that? Word no. The word no. <laughs> but the word that we can't do. You know, that, that's probably uh, inspired me the most um, because I believe as a fire service, we're capable of anything. Uh, so, you know, that, that's where the strategy comes into it. You know, I've had, you know, I've had many projects over the years and many initiatives over the years that people have over. And at, at one point it was, it was even kind of a joke uh, amongst the, uh, you know, my inner core of people. Uh, I would have, I had a file in one of my offices and they used to call it the drawer of wasted time uh, because we would put together these really good plans and they would go into the drawer of wasted time. But I, I can tell you that every one of those plans made its way out of the drawer and, and was implemented. Uh, sometimes we had to re-gift it a little bit and, and, and tweak it. Uh, but there's a time and a place and an opportunity. Uh, and as leaders, what we have to be uh, very good at is finding where that gap is uh, that, that we can insert ourselves into uh, and exploit the opportunities when they're there. Uh, and that's something that, you know, whether it's in our project planning, within our long range planning, uh, there's going to be an opportunity for someone personally, there's going to be an opportunity for the organization, but we have to position ourselves uh, by the things we do, by the way we go about our business, by the way we develop uh, the talent within the fire service to be able to take advantage of those opportunities uh, as they arise and continue to make us uh, an even more critical aspect of what is one thing that, or maybe it's multiple things that you're doing in your current position to develop your people for the future as leaders? I've done many things, uh, you know, certainly over the years through, you know, leadership development programs, uh, developing a career path. So people, uh, rather than having to struggle identifying those things that they should be doing to prepare themselves uh, for different promotional opportunities, uh, to put it in one place and, and people know what it takes to go from point A to point B. What, what are those uh, hard skills uh, in the form of classes, but what are those uh, soft skills in the form of communication, um, in, in the form of interpersonal relationships uh, that are going to make them successful? So, so putting those things into place uh, and then uh, really building the bench strength through bringing people along uh, at a pace uh, that aligns with where they're at. You know, one, one of the things that, that's asked a lot of times is what's your definition of leadership? And certainly there's a lot of great definitions out there. One that, that really struck me as odd at one point uh, was uh, when I was fortunate enough to uh, attend uh, one of the Harvard programs, 
uh, there was a guy that wrote a book called Leadership on the Line, which uh, his name was Martin Linsky, a very sharp mind. And uh, what he said was, uh, leadership is disappointing people at a rate that they Say that one more time. Leadership is disappointing people at a rate they can accept. <laughs> so uh, at first, I was, you know, I was almost, I was a little appalled that that was his definition of it. And, you know, his point was that the difference between somebody that is successful as a leader and somebody that is not successful is in knowing how hard and how fast to step on the gas because you can overshoot your turn pretty, pretty easily. And you can implement things that the organization is not ready to absorb. And each organization is a little bit different. It's really almost an art form, right? Knowing you know, how much is enough, uh, but what's not too much. Because if you go too far, uh, then a concept that would have been a really good concept uh, could be rejected out of hand because you're moving too fast and the people aren't ready to work. If that makes sense. Yes. And that was leadership on the line. What what was his first name? Martin Linsky. Martin Linsky. That book was it's a little bit dated. Uh, that was several years ago, but uh, but it was one that you know, one of those foundational books. Now, one of the, one of the things that I, I know I've struggled with and, and a lot of people that I've worked with uh, struggle with is, is time management. And when you're, when you're looking at developing, going to school, getting your, your education and, and going to training and testing and then building a family and, and working enough to pay your bills. And, and all along the way, you either get overwhelmed or you learn to manage your time effectively. Based on what I've seen from you, you know, you're, you're married. How, how long have you been married now? 23 years. Been married for 23 years. You have three children, you're, a chief, a fire chief, a well-respected fire chief. You've been involved in, I mean, you were the president of Metro Chiefs. I don't know, actually, all the organizations you've been a part of and played a role in, but how do you, how do you manage your time with the responsibilities of a fire chief and then, you know, maintaining a successful marriage and, and being a good father and your your children are awesome then you've been very successful as a fire chief and and in these other roles it's a mystery to me i don't know what it is that you do so that's what i'm asking so it, it's kind of like you know when i went around to the stations one time you know somebody goes uh, are you a a fire centric fire chief or are you an ems centric fire chief and the answer I give them is when you go to the gym, do you work out one arm or do you work out both? So, so really you're always going to have competing priorities, uh, but it's really, you know, making sure that, you know, you're, you're focusing on the right thing uh, at the right time. And then, you know, none of us do it alone. 
you know, a lot of times uh, what I found and what I had to learn when I was a very young fire chief, uh, I didn't have a lot of staff and, and a lot of resources. So I was elbows deep uh, into to every aspect of the organization. But, but as I matured within the position and as I went to larger organizations where I had larger staffs, I had to start farming out a lot of those responsibilities and trusting uh, that the people uh, that I was giving them to with uh, the parameters that I was giving them what we're going to accomplish. And that's a little bit tricky for some people because a lot of times your work, you have a certain mindset of how something should be accomplished, right? And the, the way I look at it, or the way I had to learn to look at it was when I give, when I give something to somebody to do that is going to free me up uh, to manage some of the other things though, that I have going on, when I give them something, uh, I look at it as driving down a road, right? Uh, while I may like to drive down the center line of the road and, and go very straight down the center line, uh, there's a lot of room on that road for people to drive down that will get us to the same destination. So while a project may be done slightly different than I would have done it, uh, if it gets me to the destination that I want to be at, then I'm accepting it. Uh, because I can't do everything and I can't be everywhere. But you have to have trust and, and communicate uh, what the leader's intent is uh, to those officers that are working with you, uh, that uh, they're communicating that on down the line. And that's how an organization works. And that's how I've been able to, to really maximize my time and, and focus in certain areas. So uh, what, what I see as fire chief is I have all these things that you mentioned going on, do I have to spend an ordinance amount of time on any one of them? Uh, at times, I, I do, but more it's just trusting in the people and kind of just tweaking the dials left and right from, from time to time. And then, you know, communicating what, what the intent is behind any direction that we're going uh, as an organization. I would imagine a lot of that and just, well, your own personal mental health, <laughs> um, being able to maintain your sanity with so many things going on. A, a lot of it comes in through support from your family, but I know that you're very healthy. You exercise, you eat right. Um, one thing that I've wondered about you is how much sleep you get because <laughs> you're always going, it seems like. So like, what is a typical day for you look like? A typical day, you know, I get up very early in the morning sometimes, you know, depending on what the regimen is, I'll either get up at 4.30 uh, and I'll exercise in the morning or I'll sleep until 5.30 or 5, 5.30, get to work. And one of the things that, that I tell all my folks is work can't be the end all. So, if you have, you know, don't miss soccer games, uh, don't miss uh, your kids' events. If you need to take off for those, go ahead and do it because that is really going to make them better when they're there. You know, because if you keep them too long when they're worried about going somewhere else, how effective is that going to be? So uh, to, to me, it's really drawing that, that life balance between 
you know, certainly healthy eating, exercising, uh, focusing on the things that need to be focused on, and then, you know, taking time out for yourself as well. As far as rest, uh, you know, I think I get, I get enough. <laughs> so, uh, and then the other thing is really what, what is your foundation? You know, uh, certainly I rely, you know, on my faith and my family as the, the primary drivers uh, behind me. And, uh, you know, when, when I, you know, when I get just like anybody else uh, that I feel like I'm, I'm going off too far, they, they always uh, uh, correct me and, and get me back on the right road. Uh, and, and really, it's not about, you know, getting off track. It's about getting back into the mix and, and doing those things uh, that are going to make you effective as a leader or as a firefighter or as, a, as an officer. And really that support network and, and taking care of yourself uh, is that I, I think I've covered everything that uh, I really kind of put together to, to talk to you about, but is there anything that we didn't discuss that you believe is, is important to share, um, whether it be about leadership or, or strategy or just what drives us, our inspiration, our philosophy? Yeah, you know, it's... It's interesting because we did we did uh, tackle a wide a wide range of things and you know one one of the things uh, that you know when we talk about taking care of ourselves and and uh, you know staying at the forefront uh, is really looking at you know going outside of your own organizations uh, that's that's part of the reason that that I like to be involved and I like to be involved with other people because. Uh, you gain so much from uh, going outside and seeing what other people are doing. You know, when when I used to go as a firefighter to the National Fire Academy, you know, you, you always get caught up in what, what is happening within your own organization. Uh, and what you find is, well, well, you may be in a certain position. Uh, there's some people that have it a lot worse than you and some people that have it better than you. Uh, so so it, it really gives you perspective, right? Uh, it, there, there's always going to be the ends of those spectrums. Uh, and, and really, I like to send our people out so that they can learn, bring back new things that may not apply directly to what we're doing. Um, but it gives them perspective on what we're doing. Uh, and, and it gives us the ability to introduce new things. Because I think in order to be successful, we have to introduce new things uh, into what we're doing on a constant basis. Uh, if not, uh, stagnation comes into you as an, indiv as an individual, uh, whether that be in your home life, whether that be in your professional life, uh, stagnation is something that uh, really leads uh, to, to failure in many ways. And, and I think I've relayed the story to you about you know, my philosophy when, when it comes to that is really uh, developed by observing. Uh, and when my kids were small, I, I like to tell the story of being at a mall and, uh, you know, the kids, you know, as most kids do, they looked at the escalator and wanted to run down, run, wanted to run up the down escalator. And of course, my wife looked at me and she looked at the kids and go, well, ask your dad. And I was like, yeah, go ahead and knock yourself out. <laughs> 
of course she goes that's not really what i was the answer i was looking for <laughs> but but as my three kids got on the down escalator and started running up uh and it was a long one um, i'm looking at it and uh, you know that they get like halfway up they rest a little bit but as they rest they start moving down then they start running and they get a little bit higher up and they rest a little bit more and they go back a few steps. So organizationally, what, what that led me to, to believe, and, and that's the way I run, you know, organizations and I run my life is you can get to the top, but in order to stay there, you got to keep on moving. If not, you're going to go right back down to the bottom. Well, that's, that's an awesome analogy. Oh, one thing that didn't touch on that um, I think would be kind of interesting is uh, how in your role as a fire chief have you been approaching the the whole pandemic? I, I know a lot of things have had to change with within the fire service because of the coronavirus and and I'm sure it's wreaked havoc on on a lot of the things that you probably wanted to accomplish and just have had to delay. Um, yeah, and that's an interesting one as well because the pandemic has caused a lot of us to do things differently. Uh, in fact, when I took uh, my current post, it was the pandemic had already been in, in full swing. And, and we were at the very beginning stages because I, I started uh, with Seminole County in mid-April. Uh, so the pandemic was already here uh, and there was already policies and procedures. Uh, that and, and if you look at uh, the fire service perspective, uh, many organizations stopped doing those things uh, that made us who we are uh, or have made us who we are, right? Uh, in the form of training uh, or recruit class was postponed and they were doing different which were necessary. And you do those in the super trade. But one of the things uh, that, that we looked at is we looked at the pandemic and the impact that it was having not only to our training, but to our development and moving forward as an organization. And one of the things that I tried to communicate with all our folks is, you know, the priority is to keep ourselves safe. Uh, that, because if we're not safe and still get um, a lot of the effects of the pandemic, uh, then we're not going to be able to keep the community safe when, when we need us, and they do need us. Uh, so, but what we looked at is we also said, okay, all these things that were shut off, and many departments shut everything down, totally down, whether it be inspections, training, everything shut down. Well, we started looking at all those things that made us who we are and have made us successful. And we said, okay, instead of shutting them down, how do we reopen them safely? Uh, and, and so whether that means social distancing, uh, the wearing of PPE masks, whatever the case may be, because I truly believe while the pandemic has changed uh, what we do, uh, it shouldn't change who we are as fire service organizations. So uh, in large measure, uh, we've opened up uh, everything that we've always done and have not had any ill effects as a result because uh, we've done it um, with safety at the forefront. Well, I really appreciate 
you agreeing to, to let me interview you. And this has been enlightening for me. I, we've covered so much information and I know that it's going to help me personally, uh, just how I approach things. And I'm sure the listeners will agree. I'd be curious to see the, the trickle down effect of how this influences people in the future. I appreciate it, Chief. Thanks, Dave. Take care. Yes, sir. You too. Thank you for listening to this episode of From Embers to Excellence. Please visit hollenbockleadership.com for additional content. Dave's goal is to add value to as many people as possible. So if he can be of any assistance to you or someone you know, please connect with him via email or on one of his social media accounts linked on the homepage of his website. Remember, our failures don't define us unless we let them. And the only true measure of a leader is the success of their team.